Welcome to the One Crossing Podcast. Here you can find past sermons along with other exclusive content. Our prayer is that God will move in your life even when you are on the go. We hope you enjoy this message. Well, hello, Crossing Church. How are you doing today? You doing all right? I know you're dealing with an hour less sleep. I'm dealing with an hour less sleep. You know, the first service was kind of, you, you, got, you got some work to do, okay? You got to beat that first service crowd. We are so thankful that all of you are joining us all across this region, all of our different locations. If you're at home and you're watching online, we're thankful for you. We want to tell you that it's exciting because every week we're seeing faces that we haven't seen for a while coming back, that God is just opening the floodgates. He's opening the doors. We're seeing people come back, and that is absolutely awesome. We're so thankful that we're back inside with all of you, uh, ladies and gentlemen. So thankful that we have the opportunity to be in fellowship again together, praying that God holds those doors open so that we can reach inside those prisons and jails and be able to share the gospel with all of you and you with one another. So many things to be praising God for today. And one of the things I'm praising God for is we're in a new series, and this series is called 360 Jesus, an opportunity to just get a one, uh, just a complete view of Jesus from all different aspects. And uh, this is going to culminate on Easter, and I'm so excited about what's coming up in a few weeks, but I'm excited about what I'm going to talk about today. The topic for today was the incarnation or the birth of Christ. So when I first approached this, I'm thinking to myself, I'm going to be preaching a Christmas sermon uh, a, a few weeks before Easter. That's just, that's just strange. And I'm, I'm trying to think, well, how will I repackage that? Is there a way that I can present that that's a little bit different? And something occurred to me that is just so far out in left field, but you all are used to me being in left field, right? So it's going to be okay. And I'll bring it all together. But I'll tell you what, I'm so excited to be able to share with you what I'm going to share with you today. And this is how I want to begin. When Allison and I dated and when we first got married, we like to look at model homes. I don't know how many of you ever did that, but we really like to look at model homes. And we used to dream about uh, what it would be like to live in one of those homes before we got married. You know, it's kind of like that Beach Boys song, wouldn't it be nice? You know, that never anyway. I, I'm, I'm going to date myself like, you're going to go, that dude is totally 61 years old. But I don't care because this is just too good, okay? So we looked at these model homes. We dreamed about what it would be like to live in them. And then uh, what, what I noticed was a lot of times these were like in subdivisions or little neighborhoods that they were building. And the homes had a lot of similarities to them. I mean, they might be apportioned a different way but they were very similar. And this is what they looked like. They had usually had three bedrooms. They usually had two full bathrooms. They had a living room, which was kind of a formal living room and a dining room that was separate, a formal dining room. And then a family room that was like toward the back of the house and then a kitchen and an attached garage. And that was just kind of the normal house that we would look at. And back then, the idea of a big, expansive room that incorporated like all so many of those rooms, like the kitchen, the dining room, the living room, the family room, that idea was pretty rare. Uh, You know, this idea of a great room and like 
you know, if you watch Chip and Joanna or something like that, that's what they're always doing. They're breaking out walls to kind of create this big expansive space, right? So that you can interact with people and, all, and, and this is just kind of how it, how it looks, how it is now. But that's not how it used to be. It was very, very different. So uh, at that time, this idea of a great room was very rare. But tastes have changed. I understand that quite a bit since then. But I do feel the loss of certain things, like casualties of time, all right? And I am going to share with you a casualty of time that some of you are going to go, really? Like, seriously, Jerry? Like, that bothers you? Like, you're weird. And that's the formal dining room. Now, some of you are going, well, that's the, I mean, that's the most easy one to pick to not do anymore because we just didn't use that room. It just... It just sat there. We didn't use it enough, right? Well, I want to make a, a, a pitch for the fact that that had a lot more value than we realized at the time. Not only did those uh, model homes have formal dining rooms, but people got excited about going to furniture stores and buying formal dining room furniture. And this is what formal dining room furniture looked like. Usually had a table, and that table had multiple leaves. And you could, you, you know, buy a table or order a table, and they were expandable. You know, you got on both ends and you, you, you pulled them out. You could put two, three leaves in it, you know, and just make it bigger and longer. You could buy four chairs, six chairs, eight chairs, ten chairs, just depending upon how big you wanted to make that, uh, that table. And then... What went along with the table and chairs was a china cabinet. China cabinet. Everybody under 40 is going, China cabinet. <laughs> yeah, we had china cabinets. And do you know what china cabinets were for? What were for? China. Wedding china. Because everybody back then picked out a pattern. Did you ever do that? How many of you picked out a, a china pattern? And then like you registered at a store and people could go and they'd say, well, I can buy a plate and a saucer. I'll buy a whole, like if they were really good friends, you know, like the money, they could like buy a whole place setting for you. And then, you know, and you had uh, these china patterns and then, you know, other things that would go along with them. And those china patterns were to get china on your wedding that you could put in your china cabinet that would go in your formal dining room. I am one weird dude. I still remember the name of our china pattern. Noritake Anticipation, yes. <laughs> Noritake Anticipation. Thursday night I was preaching this. Bruce and Marty Harvey come up to me. Bruce is one of the elders of the church. He goes, you're not gonna believe this. Our china pattern is Noritake Anticipation. <laughs> couldn't believe it they matched so I was talking to him today I go if we ever have a really big gathering or you have a big gathering we need to have some kind of a deal where you can borrow our china pattern or we'll borrow your china pattern so we can have matching china go all the way around the table It'll be enough for everybody wow now these very expensive china patterns china they went into the china cabinet because they were only for display you were only to take them out on very special occasions. As a matter of fact, 
China cabinets have lights in them. So you could turn on the light and go, oh, this is our China pattern. <laughs> Along with the China, you had special silverware. We had matching crystal that, that was Nortaki anticipation crystal that went with our China. And, and part of the dining room set was a server. You actually had a server that went in there. And what the server was for primarily was to set food on that was already prepared. And the reason that you had a separate room for the dining room, the formal dining room, is because people actually cooked in their homes. And usually the kitchen was a mess after you were done preparing such a large meal and you wanted to keep the mess away from the meal. And so you brought the prepared food out on the prepared plate that it was supposed to be on or bowl and you set it on the server. And then some of that food actually got placed on the table. And there was this beautiful arrangement of food over here on the server and also on the table it was beautiful. And uh, most formal dining rooms had a special light, like a chandelier that went over the table. And, and it was beautiful, this beautiful chandelier for just the right kind of lighting. And then some people just went even beyond that and their tables were specially fitted with table pads. They had pads that went on the table. And then there were linens that went over the pads. And some people actually ironed their linens, like their tablecloths were perfect. We don't have, want to have any folds in that. It has to be like perfectly laid. Some of you guys are, oh yeah. Yeah, I know what you're talking about, right? And then we had napkins. They were all kind of in the bottom of the server. You pull that stuff out, you know, and and, and, and the napkins, some people ironed their napkins, rolled up the napkins, put them in the custom napkin ring. Mm-mm-mm. Set the plate on a charger. And that is not something you use for your phone. That is what your dinner plate sat on. And then people would make everybody leave the room so someone could come in with a camera before the meal and take a picture of it before it was destroyed. Because people were so proud of what they had created, it was this beautiful thing. They'd take a picture of the prepared table before people sat down to eat. Then people were ushered into the room. Everybody come into the dining room. They all came into the dining room and they stood behind their table, except for the kids who were at the card table. <laughs> How many of you sat at the card table? Yeah, yeah. And somebody with the head of the table, usually the, the person whose house the host, would offer grace. And that would precede the meal. A lot of times that happened while standing before you sat at the table. And then there were rules after the, after the, the dinner began. You, there was somebody who was designated to actually carve whatever entree that you had, that you would pass the plates and bowls of food. And some of you are clockwise passers and some of you are counterclockwise passers. And some of you are completely uncouth and you did not have that understood or stated and you would have food traffic jams at your table because the green beans are coming this way and the mashed potatoes are coming this way. And you're like, what is going on? You can't do that. Mmm. And you pass food from hand to hand. And people ate that food and enjoyed that food and then they eventually pushed back from the table and then hands went on belts. 
and we lower it what, what, one notch less. Coffee was brewed, dessert was served, and there was lots of incredible conversation at the table. Some of you are going, bring it back, bring it back. <laughs> you might think that other than those meals, formal dining rooms were pretty much wasted space. Well, you'd be wrong because it was the place where families also played board games. It was the place where those really wacky, weird people in your family would put puzzles together. It was the place where before Christmas, you would lay out all of the wrapping paper and ribbons and you would wrap your presents at the table. This is where you put together that tedious science project before you took it to school. This is where kids did homework so parents could watch them to make sure they weren't not doing it in their bedroom. Lately, a lot of formal dining rooms have been turned into office spaces. Through the pandemic, people being in their home office. You know, back then, listen, back then, and again, I'm dating myself, less than 5% of meals were eaten out. Today, over 50% of meals in American culture are eaten out, and yet we build bigger kitchens. Explain that to me. Back then, families gathered for meals. Today, with such busy schedules, that happens less and less. And so why in the world, Jerry, are you telling me all of this stuff about tables? Isn't this supposed to be 360 Jesus, and you're supposed to be talking the bur about the birth? of our Savior? Hang with me here. Look at what it says in John chapter 1, verse 14. It says, the Word, that's Jesus, became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And we've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. When we think of God the Father, often we think of above us, right? In the perfection of heaven, and here we were, and here we are, separated from God because of all of our sin. But we also know that God loves us so much that he's not willing for us to stay lost in our sin and, and condemned, and so what does he do? He sends his one and only son. And when his son comes to the earth, he does not come as a conquering king. He does not come as a political leader. He doesn't come as some recognized authority figure. He comes as John the Baptist describes him as he comes to be baptized. John says, behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Jesus comes as the Lamb of God, gentle and humble. He doesn't come to rule over us or to control us. He comes to be in relationship with us, to sit across from us, to engage us, to draw us into himself. Where does he come? He comes to the table. And this is why I have a table up here for you today. Because... A table is where we sit next to one another or we sit across from one another. Tables are where we recline and we act more like ourselves. Tables are where everyone has a place. 
Tables are where there's this common language. Tables are inviting. They're inclusive. This is where monologue turns into dialogue. This is where everyone has an opportunity to contribute. Everyone can play a part. Everyone is at the same level. You know, tables are spiritual places. This is where we say grace. We say grace at the table. Tables are where we bow our heads and give thanks to God. Tables only have one head. And there's only one usually designated to sit at the head of the table. When you sit at the table, have you noticed you're covered? Your legs and feet, they go under the table and there's a modesty to sitting at the table. Tables are places where you say, come sit here by me. Tables are where you're content to sit at a corner and straddle a table leg just so that more people can be at the table and be together. Tables are places where if someone's missing, it's just not the same. And let me tell you about Jesus. He was at his best when he was sitting at a table. It was his best environment for ministry. It was at a table where Jesus performed his first miracle. The miracle at the wedding in Cana of Galilee. It was a wedding feast. And at a wedding feast, participants, people that were invited, would sit at a table. And this is what happened at that feast. Jesus turned water into wine. He did that because they ran out of wine and his mother came and said they have no wine and Jesus did this first miracle. He filled the need. And not only did he fill the need, but he turned the dirtiest water into the finest wine. It's amazing because when you read the story and you understand it inside a Jewish culture, the, wine, the water that he turned into wine was the non-potable water, the non-drinking water, the water that was used to wash the floors, the water that was used to wash feet. He turned that water into wine. And it wasn't just wine, it was the finest wine. And the person who was in charge of the wedding got a little bit angry because etiquette was that you serve the best wine first until people didn't really care anymore. If you know what I mean? And he was angry because the best wine was served last. You might see yourself today, one of our locations, as dirty water. I'm just polluted. I'm just dirty water. But Jesus, and only Jesus, can change that. He can turn dirty water into the finest wine, and that's exactly what he can do in your life, and we learn that at a table. Jesus called Matthew from his table, his tax-collecting table, to be his disciple, to be his follower. And Matthew decided he wanted to celebrate that calling with a meal at his house. So he invited Jesus to his house. Not only did he invite Jesus to the house, he invited all of his sinful friends. All of Matthew's sinful friends came to this meal to sit at the table with Jesus. 
And Jesus sat at that table and ate with all of them. And the religious leaders accused Jesus of doing exactly what he was doing, eating with sinners. And Jesus said that it was the sick who needed a doctor, not the healthy. He didn't reject them. And Jesus won't reject you either. No matter what past you carry, he will not reject you. We discovered that at a table. Jesus sat at the table of a Pharisee's house named Simon. And while he was eating at that table, a prostitute crawled over to him on all fours on the floor and washed his feet with her tears and wiped his feet with her hair and anointed his feet with perfume. And while this was happening, Simon, who owned the home and was conducting the meal, condemned Jesus in his heart for allowing himself to be touched by such a sinful woman. And Jesus used that opportunity to tell a story of a rich man who forgave two debts, one large and one small. Knowing that her debt of sin was large, Jesus looked at the woman and said, your sins, which are many, are forgiven. Jesus is at the table right here, right now, to forgive your debt of sin. You know what Jesus does? He sets tables on hillsides. He feeds thousands upon thousands of people with just a tiny bit of food. We have two stories in the Bible, one of Jesus feeding 5,000 men, another one feeding 4,000 men, but that didn't include women and children, so well over 20,000 people just at one sitting. And when Jesus multiplies that fish and bread and sets his table, he shows us that he can take what you give him and he can multiply it in ways that you could not even begin to imagine. When you sit at the table of Jesus, there will always be enough. Not only will there be enough, but there'll be more than enough. On those meals, they picked up 12 basketfuls of leftovers, and there'll be more than enough in your life. Another occasion, Jesus ate with friends, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus in Bethany. Martha was in charge of preparing the meal, and she was so concerned about making the meal perfect when her sister Mary was content to just learn at the feet of Jesus. Jesus had to remind Martha that Mary, her sister, had chosen the best because sometimes it's more about the company than it is about the meal. At the table, Jesus teaches us that he needs to be the priority. There's a great story that happens at the table in the home of a guy that we know in the Bible named Simon the leper. Oh, wow, wouldn't you like to go to a meal hosted by a leper? Except for this leper had been miraculously healed by Jesus. Leprosy no longer had control over him. And so it was enough to just be able to go to this man's house and see miraculously how Jesus had ministered to him. But it was better than that because there was another guest at this meal and his name was Lazarus. And this was Lazarus after he had died 
and Jesus had raised him from the dead after he'd been in the tomb for four days. How many of you would have liked to have been at that meal? How many of you would have liked to have been sitting next to Lazarus so you could say, so what was it like? Did you see a light for four days? Tell me. Imagine that. And in the middle of this meal, Mary, Lazarus's sister, breaks open a very expensive jar of perfume. And she pours it on Jesus's head, anoints him with it, and the fragrance of it fills the whole house. And the reason she does it is her heart is so full of gratitude for what Jesus had done for Lazarus. And this is the way she chose to express it. Jesus uses the opportunity to prophesy his death and his burial. But in that intimate moment, he says that her expression of love would never be forgotten. And I take from that, that God will never forget any of our expressions of love toward him. We witnessed that at a table. It was at the table that Jesus said, this is my body, which is broken for you. This is the blood of the new covenant shed for many for the remission of sin. This is where Jesus tells us how he's going to solve our problem of sin. He does it at the table. He would take our place. He would take our punishment. He would set us all free by dying for us all. He washed our feet from the table. He showed us how to love by serving at the table. Jesus showed himself alive after he rose from the dead at a table. See, he was having dinner with two men that earlier that day, it was Sunday, it was the day he rose from the dead. There were two men walking away from Jerusalem to a town called Emmaus. And they were talking about what had just happened. And Jesus meets them on the road. And there's a miracle performed that they don't even realize. And that is they were kept from being able to recognize Jesus. And as they walked along, Jesus taught them. Matter of fact, he spent all day with them. And it got toward evening, and they needed to find a place to stay and have a meal. They invited Jesus to stay with them, and he did. And when the meal was served at the table, Jesus takes the bread and he breaks it. And when he breaks it, he allows them to recognize him, and he disappears. That intimate moment was where they recognized Jesus. And it is at the table where you will recognize him as well. He actually proved that he was alive and not a ghost <coughs> at a table because his disciples were freaked out after he had died and then he, ri he, he rises from the dead and then appears in a room without any doors or windows opening. And he wants his disciples to believe that he's real. So he asks for a piece of fish and he eats in front of them at a table so they'll realize that he's real. Jesus is real. And he's just as real today and just as alive right now as he was all of those years ago. And we discover that at a table. Jesus made breakfast for his disciples on the shoreline of the Sea of Galilee after he'd risen from the dead. And Simon Peter was there who had denied Jesus three times. And Jesus uses the opportunity to forgive Simon Peter's denials. He does that at a table. And he asks Peter to do the same thing that he asks us all to do. He says it three times. Feed 
my sheep. We feed his sheep when we bring them to his table. Today, the center of a church service is not occupied with a sermon, although many of us might think that. It's it's not occupied with worship, although worship is important. It's not even occupied with prayer. The center of a service is at a table. Many of you today came in, and all of our locations you came in, and when you did, you picked up communion, these emblems, as you came in. Some of you didn't. What I'd like for you to do right now at all of our locations, I want you to take this opportunity while I'm speaking right now to go and get those emblems if you intend to take communion today. I want you to make sure that you have them with you because we're going to take communion together universally with all of our locations at the same time. Jesus has placed a table before his children today, and you're his children. It's at a table where we realize that there was something that only Jesus could do for us, that he would have to take our sins away because we weren't going to be able to manage that by ourselves. And so what do we do? We go back to that moment 1,500 years before Christ was born because that's what Jesus was celebrating that night when he instituted the Lord's Supper. That moment was a feast to commemorate something called Passover. It was the final plague that broke the back of Egypt and set captives free, two million of them. The death of the firstborn was prophesied by God And the only way that the firstborn in that home would live is if you took a one-year-old lamb, you sacrificed it, you caught its blood, and you put the blood of that lamb on the doorpost and the lintel of your house. And when you did, God said, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And that's why it's called Passover. And so all of the Israelite families were spared And all of the Egyptian families lost their firstborn. And that is what allowed the people to go. Jesus took the emblems of Passover and he changed their meaning. Actually, he fulfilled their meaning. First, he took bread. Now, don't take the bread yet. Just hold it in your hand with me. Would you just do that right now? At all of our locations, just hold the bread. Because this bread is symbolic of the body of Jesus Christ. And we remember that on the cross, he allowed his body to be broken for us. And when Jesus was celebrating this meal of Passover with his disciples, he took the bread and he broke it. And he said, take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Would you remember him with me right now? Bible says that after dinner, 
he took the cup and he blessed it. And then he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. A promise. Just as God promised that the firstborn wouldn't die in the houses of Israel, so Jesus promises that when we are in a relationship with him, we too will be delivered out of the bondage of sin into eternal life. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Drink all of it. Let's remember him together. That, my friend, is the center of our worship. It's why we preach sermons. It's why we sing songs of worship. It's why we pray. We do all of that because Jesus came to earth to sit at the table with us, humble, gentle, like the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He came to be that once and for all sacrifice for our sin. And just as he said on the cross, Tetelestai, it is finished, so his work as the Lamb of God has been finished. And now I have the right to sit at the table, not because of what I have done, but because of what he has done, and remember what he has fully accomplished for me. Now, right now, at this moment, I'm looking forward to a day when I actually get to literally sit at the table with my Savior Jesus. I sit at a table in a spiritual way now, and so do you. But someday, I will sit at the table and I will see his face. And I will recognize him and he will recognize me. And the former things will be passed away. It says this in Revelation chapter 19, verses 6 to 9. It says, Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters, like loud peals of thunder shouting, Hallelujah, for our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory, for the wedding of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of God's holy people. And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, these are the true words of God. This is why we gather. This is why we scatter. This is why we share the gospel, the good news of Jesus. Because we want everyone to be invited and to accept the invitation of the wedding supper of the Lamb. So excited about that day coming, but until that day, I will sit at this table and I will put as many leaves in this table as I can because I want everyone to sit at the table someday with my Savior. Not just one, not just two, not just three, but I want everyone to sit around that table. And I want you to consider that while we move to this time of decision.
Thank you for joining us. A special thank you to those of you that choose to give to this ministry. It's because of your generosity that this ministry is possible. You can click the link in the description to give now or visit thecrossing.net forward slash podcast for more information. If you enjoy the podcast, be sure to subscribe and share with your friends, tagging One Crossing on social media. Thank you so much for listening.